Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Let's go. So uh, welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 80. Uh, today we have um, a fabulous special guest, which I'll introduce in a moment. Um, but first, Paul. Nice to see you back, mate. We haven't, well, how, back. Many, how many weeks have it been? Two or three? Yeah, it's been around two, yeah, two or three since the uh, yeah, cheese one was last one, wasn't it? Cheese one was it, okay. <laughs> We've obviously had three training-related episodes since. Obviously, last one with Fran, which was cool. Um, but how you been? Yeah, I've been all right. Had a bit of a life crisis-ish to get over, <laughs> sort of thing. Can you call it get that? My, well, get my shit back together. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of been off the reservation as it has been for a couple of weeks, I think. But, yeah, no... All things running back smoothly, so it's been good. It's been a uh, the old testing times sent here to. Is that a pun? Kinda. Ooh, nice. Ooh, yeah, little sneak. I feel funny. like I'm eavesdropping on something here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Most guests say that. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're in the fold now, James. You're in. Oh, I've dropped you then. Oh. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know that I yeah. one of us, one of us. Yeah. So yeah. Nothing spectacular, obviously, still work is taking up way more time than it should do in my other job. But yeah, it's been okay. I'm, I'm okay. I'm back. Good. You sound up beat at least. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, yeah. this is my other job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let, let, tell you what, let's, let's get into it. So let's obviously uh, stop you being a voyeur and watching in the, from the side, let's, <laughs> if that's the right phrase. Um, yeah, let's, let's find out. So obviously we have today James Phil. Um, so first, and let's find out exactly who you are, James. Okay, who is James Fell? That's, you know, that's one of the questions that's in the book we're going to be talking about. It's like, who are you? Deep down, what is it you want to do? <laughs> but, so that's, but, but that's from a more ex- existential perspective. Uh, me from a, as relating to your, your podcast listeners and viewers perspective, uh, started off as a, a health and fitness primarily writer 10 years ago and uh, in short order had a column with the Los Angeles Times and uh, and then moved on. Well, also uh, did a bunch of writing for the Chicago Tribune that ended up running in papers all across the uh, all across the world. A uh, lot of writing for Ask Men and Chatelaine, as well as I've, uh, for the, the UK listeners, I've written for The Guardian and uh, and Time Magazine, and, and I have a popular blog at bodyforwife.com. And uh, yeah, just in the last couple of years have evolved be- more beyond just health and fitness into general science-based motivation, partially because I wanted to reach a broader group of people, but also because... I found that uh, the field of motivational writing, I'd learned so much about it, focusing on helping people lose weight because it's so critical for that. That, uh, but I found that that motivational writing was there was a dearth of science in it. It was a little more based on anecdotal rah rah, you can do it. And I thought, well, you know, what about the actual evidence based? Uh, approach and there wasn't much so that's a gap that i'm trying to fill now that's yeah it's really good because obviously as part of the sort of why we got in contact was because you um releasing your book which is a bit aptly named the holy shit moment which is 
a great title. And uh, we've been lucky enough to definitely get a sort of the a preview sort of before I guess you released it fully. And it's yeah, it's a very yeah. it's a very January good January twenty second, uh, it comes out and and it is being released in the UK as well under I can't remember the exact name of the publisher off the top of my head, but it's it's a, a subsidiary of HarperCollins. So on January twenty second it'll be out in the UK as well. Yeah, it's good. That's it's definitely a book that I'll be recommending people, um, especially sort of clients and stuff, to to go through and have a look at. Oh, we get to have a little bit of summer on the summer can you wave? Everybody's here. Sorry, so, yeah, I, do it's, have, um, I do have my one-year-old hanging around. <laughs> excellent. Mine are twenty and seventeen now, so they don't sit on my lap very often. Yeah, I bet. I bet. I'll be honest. It feels like she's going to be either seventeen or twenty any time now. That's how quick yeah. she's grown up. Yeah, it's crazy. She is. Yeah, she's grown quick. Um, so yeah, with the book, obviously, was that something you've been kind of penning for a long time, or in your sort of spur of the moment decision to be like, right, I'm going to get some stuff written down that is evidence based well, and. It is. I mean, that's a. Uh, it depends on how you you view a long time. Uh, I've been doing the health and fitness writing thing for ten years. And my last book was published five years ago, which was, uh, well, four and a half, which was a, a weight loss focused book called Lose It Right that was published by Random House Canada. And it was successful in Canada, but we didn't have any success selling it south of the border because, well, it was too science based. And, uh, and in the United States, a market that I was very eager to break into, I was doing fine in terms of, you know, writing for the LA Times and the Chicago Tribune, but on the book front, uh, when it comes to accessing that market, the two biggest genres there are diet books and self-help books. And I wrote a weight loss book, not a diet book. There's a profound difference there. <laughs> and it was not only that, but it was a science-based weight loss book. And uh, diet books are completely different. A diet book is essentially a program of eat this food and you will magically lose weight. And they're generally full of shit. There is um, the best selling ones are the ones that have some type of interesting hook or gimmick that that pulls you in with a, oh, wow, I've never heard of that before. Uh, the big thing right now is keto. And I'd be damned if I was going to write a pro keto book. <laughs> and um, But like as an example, you may not remember, it was years ago, there was a book by a naturopathic, not a doctor, um, about the blood type diet. Yeah. Utterly unscientific. No, no scientific merit to this concept whatsoever that book sold over 7 million copies it just blew up so if i was willing to you know smoke some weed and get you know really messed up and come up with some stupid bizarre approach to a diet and got really creative i could probably figure something out that would be the next hot diet and sell tons of copies and i was like except i like not hating the person that i see in the mirror <laughs> so there was no yeah, way that was that happening um, that that just um, that just sorry, I just want to inject because that, that reminds me of a quote. I think one of our good friends, Alan Flanagan. So um, he's uh, well, he's actually a barrister by day or a mm -hmm. lawyer, but he uh, is now moving into more nutritional realms. He's, he's got a background in nutrition anyway. Um, but he came up with a quote. The, uh, I think it was only yesterday, the day before, where he said, "People don't want the truth. People want to buy romance and lies." Exactly, because <laughs> no one wants the truth. It's boring. Exactly true. And but so I couldn't. 
I wanted to break into the United States and I started looking at the self-help genre in general because I'd learned so much about motivation, writing about it for helping people lose weight. And that had always been my focus for the last 10 years. I wasn't writing so much about squat technique or how many reps of bench press or macronutrient ratios as I was about how to motivate your ass off the couch and to essentially just expanded it out and i came up with the idea it was just over three years ago and when you decide to first of all um the idea for this specific book which is about the science behind the life-changing epiphany the holy shit moment when you are suddenly overwhelmed with passion and desire and motivation to go in this new direction in life. The idea came a little over three years ago, but the traditional um, publishing route is very slow. <laughs> and, okay. and it took a while to flesh it out and do a bunch of research and become an expert in the area and pitch it and then write it and then edit it. And and I mean, it's been, it's been almost a year since I finished the first draft. And from the time that it, when it actually gets published January 22nd, it will be almost exactly a year from when I handed in my first draft with the, uh, with the editor. So there's the very long answer to your simple question of how long have I been thinking about this? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm always quite passionate about sort of long form writing as opposed to definitely not maybe the other guys are slightly younger than me. So I'm not set up for the, uh, modern day era of sort of quick videos and getting information. Mm hmm fired in in that way but with obviously reading through the, the book is so sort of well written in that it's as if i think what, what the a great point of it is that it kind of captures like your voice as if you're reading it like you know like an audible book where you where the author would um write it or read it sorry um well, so that like comes... you, we were talking whilst reading it that was the and that's the the capturing point that i think any sort of especially a, a book that's helping or a self-help book or even like you say the diet books because when it comes to sort of the diet side and the nutrition side of that uh, it, a lot of people obviously the more evidence-based and the more scientific as a coach that we know in essence it really only boils down to a kind of without being crude a dick swinging competition in between the rest <laughs> of the community because general population don't really care that what you or what the buildup of macronutrients and everything like that they just want yeah. to know why well, how do i lose this amount of fat how do you do, how can i do that so but when yeah. it's written across in a sort of way where it's it basically the the book is like a, it's such a good sort of story behind sort of around it you kind of don't realize too much that you're taking on information that's going to help you but it's there. Well, that that was, I mean, sort of accidentally on purpose, I would say that growing up, my greatest influences as a writer were novelists and, uh, you know, science fiction and fantasy novelists. And some of my favorite books were told first person. And when I decided to start writing, I just naturally gravitated towards it seemed like, well, I'm just going to act like I'm talking to a friend that I'm, I'm giving some information to a friend. I this you that. And uh, and when I at the earliest stages of when I began writing, I kind of inserted some of my own anecdotes and stories into it right off the bat. And it seemed to resonate with people, seemed to really they seemed to really like it. And with this um, an, another now, this was more strategic in my approach was that uh, 
when I when I began writing 10 years ago, I decided, you know, I can you can drop some pretty heavy science on people and they will absorb it better if you wrap it in an entertaining story where they're uh, they, they don't quite realize that they're learning something that's pretty in depth. And it's like if I entertain you, you will also retain what it is that I just communicated. And but it's not just my story in the book, of course, there's um, there's a lot of interviews with uh, with uh, leaders in psychological science from around the world, including the UK, that uh, that I got the expert opinions from, as well as the powerful anecdotal stories of people that went through these profound life changing moments as well. And so I guess in that case, you kind of get to be the observer of the conversation between me and them. Yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, there was a few in that that were really amazing and it sort of made, definitely made me sort of look at a different sort of entry point stuff. I suppose the, uh, the one that was the, was Josie Thompson, I think the one that had the, the near-death experience. Yeah, the near-death experience and the yeah. sort of then made you, so, which I guess can be a driver and stuff if you have a, a traumatic uh, event can happen, which can cause, like, as you said, an, sort of an epiphany moment, mm-hmm. which I think is, I mean, doesn't have to be as, I guess, as hugely traumatic as what she probably went through. Yeah, that that one's about as extreme as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's she strange. literally I mean, died on a hospital bed. That's yeah, and that's, I mean, that, that sort of side, isn't it? You have to... Obviously, from her side, she's saying that she hers was she was looking down on herself. Yeah, and and I guess in some and she heard a voice, and yeah. I mean that's one of the things that I clarified throughout the book is that I am a science minded individual, and you have to look at it from the perspective of a neutral observer. Is that um, you do not, and and there's an entire chapter on the religious epiphany as well that you may or may not believe in otherworldly experiences. Um, gods or goddesses or near-death experiences or anything like that. But what you can't deny is that other people do. And when they have an experience like that, you have to look at it from the perspective of this is what they experienced. And if they felt uh, as though that um, they, they heard a command from an angel or God or some other overwhelming uh, uh, influence, uh, that that seems otherworldly or paranormal, and it motivated them to go on this new path in life, then that's what happened from their perspective. So that's the way that I wrote about it in a in a respectful manner that, uh, you know, I don't know the answers to these things. We don't we don't know if this is what actually happened or not. But what we do know is that they had this experience and it profoundly changed them. Yeah, yeah, that is. That's, that's, I'm not a, a religious man totally but i think there's i can't remember who said the quote there's a quote that's saying you should act like god exists kind of thing like you know it, it, it wasn't quite that it was it was not that you should behave as though god exists but the thing is that, no it was that god does not have to exist in order for the a mystical type of life-changing epiphany to work because you know for all we know it's a neurochemical rush that that say we receive some type of evidence that God doesn't exist, that, uh, which is not saying that that's going to happen, but, but hypothetically, if somebody came up with a mathematic, and, and there would be a bunch of people that wouldn't believe it anyway, <laughs> but, but if, if there was a mathematical proof that there was no God, there would still be the reality that many people had had life-changing epiphanies where they believed 
that they had been spoken to by God, and it dramatically changed their lives. So it's like I said, God does not have to exist in order for you to be, in order for someone to believe that they were spoken to by God, and it dramatically changed their life. Yeah, I guess that's without downplaying religion and stuff. And I guess that's kind of akin to some like we know the placebo effect is strong in people. Mm-hmm. If you give someone a, a pill or two groups different pills, obviously tell them they'll have these effects. And then for whatever reason. And this is, I mean, I don't know if I would quite, it's, it's akin to the placebo effect, but it's not actually the placebo mm-hmm. effect. Now, this is going a little bit far afield, but, but one of my favorite examples about the placebo effect is for people with asthma. So um, you have people that, uh, that, are, that are having airway constriction. And you have one group that actually takes the actual medication, the pharmaceutical ingredient that dilates the bronchial tubes and allows them to to breathe easier. You got your control group that takes nothing. And then you've got your group that takes a placebo where they believe they're taking medicine. The group that so the group that took the medicine, obviously their lungs improved. The group that took nothing, the control group, their lungs didn't. The placebo group, they believed that their breathing improved. So it helped it from that perspective where they felt like their breathing improved. But when you take an actual scientific measurement of it, it didn't. So the body did not miraculously cure itself from a, from a perspective of suddenly opening those airways. They just kind of felt like it did because of the psychological trickery. Now, when it comes to a life-changing epiphany, what that is, is, is that, I mean, there's, it can be a massive insight where it's an answer to a question where suddenly you come to the realization with this is what I have to do with my life. And there's a profound neurochemical rush that comes along with it. There's a dopamine cascade, which is like the neuromodulator of exploration that says this is valuable. This is something that you need to chase after. There can also be a big opioid rush where it feels very pleasurable. It's a deeply emotional experience. So when it happens, just like anything that you're really excited about because you've you've received the answer to something whether it was you know maybe you thought you heard a voice from god or you just came to a profound conclusion like you just suddenly knew this is what i've got to do lots of chemicals get released in your brain and it feels really good and you're like hell yes this is the direction that i've got to go so it's um in that way, it's it's different from a placebo effect because the 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 effect is not on something like lung capacity. It's the effect is on motivation and and setting those pathways in your brain and setting you on a course of fil- fulfilling what you feel like has suddenly become your destiny. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not one that's particularly. <laughs> well, that makes three anyway, of us. But I'm only one that's kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'd, I'd firmly put myself in the atheist camp, but I, I do completely appreciate the, I suppose, the mm-hmm. power people get from faith. And I guess obviously this is this, this is the type of thing you're talking about in that just having that faith gives someone belief, direction, motivation. Mm-hmm. I can see how powerful that is, and that's why I've always kind of appreciated religion, even well, though I just don't the, believe in it. But I one of the interesting bits of research in the book is that when it comes to those who experienced the the mystical religious epiphany is that a lot of them really weren't that religious quite often they were at a low point where there was uh there was significant desperation taking place and many of them were praying 
But here's the interesting thing. A lot of them were praying for the first time in their lives. They were not religious people, and they'd reached a low point, and they decided to pray, and they had this this religious experience. Um, others, they hadn't prayed in a very long time. Maybe they had been religious before, but they'd kind of let it go, and it was sort of a coming back to God experience for them. So that's that was one of the interesting things, is it's not the hardcore, you know, evangelical Trump voter <laughs> type that uh, had to get my Trump dig in there. <laughs> <Don't like that. laughs> yeah. po- political. We've got our own problems over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I've read some of those too. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. Just a few. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's, that side of it is so interesting. And uh, I guess it's not even, you can't obviously force someone to have that sort of holy shit moment they have to discover that on themselves i think that's probably one of the things that uh is probably the hardest thing to kind of help people cope and especially coaching well i I did create a strategy and a tactical plan around it and the interesting thing is that i said right in the preface when when i came up with the idea for this book and began writing it it was not written, intended to be a how-to of a life-changing epiphany until my agent said, well, can you teach people to have this? And I thought, I don't know, man, that seems like a bit of a stretch. So I started conducting interviews and talking to some some very uh, very well-respected psychologists that the, uh, the resounding opinion was absolutely, yes, you can coach people to dramatically improve the likelihood uh, and this is based on scientific evidence of uh, having such a profound life-changing experience that that there's certain steps that a person can take to have this massive insight. A lot of it's related to boosting your creativity because it has to do with creative thought quite often, a sudden insight into where you need to go with your life. So uh, so it ended up becoming a, a very concrete steps how-to that at the same time, I, I don't say that it's guaranteed it's going to happen, but I'm very confident that it will significantly increase the likelihood that it will happen. Had you never read the book mm-hmm. yeah, and not yeah. just, and not just have a powerful yeah. insight, but the right powerful insight. I was just going to ask, so does it, does it kind of go along the lines of the, the same um, themes or forms of things like um, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy or motivational interviewing, do you kind of yeah. ask those types of questions or get people to do, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Get them to kind of do exercises that kind of- In, in a more general explore. sense, yes. Uh, it's interesting you mention motivational interviewing um, because one of the uh, one of the people who's an, became one of the leading experts in what he came to call quantum change, quantum being, on or off, a big jump, uh, is William Miller, one of the co-founders of Motivational Interviewing. So I interviewed him for the book and quote his book, Quantum Change, significantly. And uh, But also, you know, I've been writing about CBT for a long time in relation to getting people to exercise and eat better. And uh, and so this is not a, in in some ways, what it is, is it's, it's, an accessory, an accessory to traditional cognitive behavior change models, because I don't dismiss them. I say that there is another way that people change. Traditional CBT methods are quite tortoise versus hare, slow and steady, baby steps, because that's what's easier to study, and that's what you know we know that we can 
we can take people in a linear path from one step to the other. I also interviewed James Prochaska, who developed the trans-theoretical model of behavior change. And uh, and there's significant reference in there to uh, Albert Bandura's work with self-efficacy theory and uh, and self-determination theory as well. But so the the this model that I've created is wrapped within all of the other scientific models of, of cognitive behavior change that that what we're what we're working towards is one of one of the people I interviewed refer he had had both the slow and steady behavior change happened to him in his life that he referred to as one painful determined step after another until he dragged himself over a tipping point. But he also had the sudden effortless poof method where just I'm different now. So I use that word poof, I'm different now in relation to traditional cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, Sometimes you need to meet the poof part way where you engage in these gradual, slow baby steps, but at the same time, you are doing the tasks that I've set upon you in order to encourage the sudden poof that, you know, you start off at the bottom of, uh, you're you're at the base of the mountain and the top of the mountain is 100% total absolute motivation to do this thing. And you gradually start climbing the steps towards the peak of the mountain. And somewhere along the way, because of the other work that you're doing, you don't have to climb the entire way. But the, the Star Trek transporter device comes and picks you up and, uh, and immediately transports you directly to the top of the mountain or significantly higher up it. And the interesting thing about this, that one of the reasons that, that uh, I really wanted to write this book is that the people who experienced the profound lightning strike, the sudden dramatic change. First of all, when you compare that to, to traditional CBT, it's a, it's a bigger change. They go through a, a more significant transformation and their adherence to this new change is higher than the people who went through the slow and steady tortoise approach. Yeah, that's that's. Oh, no, so I was just saying, it's obviously we can, that can kind of all sort of translate across into obviously helping with sort of health health gains and sort of fat loss, can't because obviously now there is the the obviously it's been there the approach of sort of an aggressive sort of diet stage, mm-hmm. where it obviously gives people the buy-in because they see the uh, they get results quickly as opposed to the, there was a sort of a lot a quite a period of where people it was the slow and steady because you the changes are so minimal you don't miss them as much yeah it's people do get bored with quite quickly well that that relates to um one of the things i talk about in the book called rokich's model of personality so if you've ever seen the movie shrek and here i'm going to try and do the really shitty scottish accent um ogres are like onions layers where he rips out he shows he shows the onion and uh, and that's the way that the model of personality works is that we human beings are have layers to us. And the external layer is the um, actions and behaviors. And then you go down and you've got beliefs and then you've got attitudes and um, identity and values. And at the core, you've got yourself of who you are. And 
the uh, there's a new book out. I haven't read it, but uh, it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear, where he wants people to go through micro steps, like just to change a little bit each day. And there is value in that. That's a that's one thing. That's what I have preached for a long time now is the uh, the baby. Oh, then he's got the book. There's the book. The baby steps approach to change because when you're focusing on habit formation, when you're focusing on behavior change, you're focusing on the external layer. And you're when you do that, you are in combat with the core of your being, yourself, your values, your identity. And if you try to change too much, then the the stronger, more powerful inner self is going to fight back and say, screw you. We're not doing this. This is uh, this is wrong. And uh, and you're going to backslide into your old behaviors that are more comfortable with who that core identity is. So you have to be very gentle. You have to make very small changes. The approach that I am teaching in this book is forget that outer layer. Focus on the core self where you go through a profound change of identity and values. And when that changes, these are things that not don't change slowly. They change because of a sudden awakening of the holy shit moment. And these people go through a profound core identity shift. All those external layers of behavior and actions automatically just come in line to be in sync with this new person that you've become and there's a couple of great examples in the book that directly relate to you know regular listeners of your show uh one is a gentleman named chuck gross tried and failed to lose weight many times throughout his life doing the slow and steady approach had a tremendous identity shift a life-changing moment that changed who he was at a core build uh, at his core being where he said he killed the old person that he was and that is a phoenix arose from the gray ashes uh, where he knew from that moment on that he would never struggle to be motivated again, that this was going to happen 100% guaranteed. He lost over 200 pounds and he's kept it off more than 10 years. Another example, Eric O'Gray had a life-changing moment that really changed who he was Again, he tried and failed many times the traditional slow and steady approach, but because of this transformative experience that changed who he was, lost 150 pounds and has kept it off for many years, he qualified for the Boston Marathon. <laughs> so, so that is, I mean, I am, I am like the anti-James Clear. I'm the anti-Atomic <laughs> Habits guy. Uh, I'm on the other side of it say, screw that. Not to say it's a bad book. I'm just saying that this is a different way of doing things. That and and actually, that's that's not completely true. I would say yes, if you're while you're waiting for your life changing epiphany to come, do engage in those little atomic habits, because one of one of these days, one of those little shifts can pick you up, and then you have your transformative experience that changes everything. And there are examples of that in the book, like Leslie the fencer, yeah, who tried fencing for a while and then suddenly was transformed and ended up becoming uh, a North American silver medalist. And me, where I changed in terms of, of um, exercise, where I changed in a lot of other ways a couple of years earlier, then decided to get in shape. And I was... I was uninspired for the first couple of months, did the atomic habits approach, and then suddenly was like, 
okay, this is who I am now. I am going to exercise until I die. And 25 year, years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I haven't read James's book yet either, so I can't really comment too much on it. I know a bit of his work and says so I've read some of kind of like the uh, stuff he's put out on his, on his media and things. And I've heard him on a couple of podcasts. Um, and I've generally liked what he's had to say. I totally, to be honest, I really like what you're saying in um, kind of the more dramatic way of changing can be obviously, well, that, that moment, that life-changing moment. And I think yeah. it does align quite nicely what Paul's saying around kind of nutritional habits. It's really been something over the past, I mean, well, forever really, that has been well accepted that, oh, you've got to go slow and steady because otherwise um, <laughs> the hard approach, one, you do damage to your body, you get me- metabolic damage and um, it's not sustainable and all that stuff. You think, well, actually... <laughs> If you look at the research out there it's the absolute opposite for a lot for a lot of people um i mean obviously we've got a lot of stuff in the media at the moment where our local or our national health service has now started to um prescribe mm. literally be able to prescribe very low calorie mm. diets for people with diabetes wow. like literally 800 calories i think is the prescribed <laughs> amount and there's uproar in the fitness industry you can't do that you know it's it's, it's unsafe it's not helpful you know people are never going to sustain it it's the whole point not meant to but what they, what they have shown is that it gets huge huge buy-in because people see huge dramatic i mean some some basically some of the studies that was based on where they've now decided actually look the studies show that these are really successful let's prescribe it in to help our healthcare service um they had mm-hmm. like revert they reversed diabetes in a matter i have of weeks. a friend that was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and uh and had a bit of a holy shit moment lost 34 pounds in eight weeks and was uh off his medication in eight weeks and it's like you're no longer diabetic but he has to keep he has yeah. to keep it up the um one of the things that I'm, I'm clear about in my book because you know we were talking about how people want this this sort of quick and easy miracle cure and uh and one of the things I get readers to commit to right in the introduction is that I use the analogy of the karate kid that you don't become a karate master in just a few weeks of waxing cars and painting fences. And I know that because I have kids and a wife that all have black belts in karate that, you know, it's years of dedicated effort. So I have people commit that there is work to do no matter if it's losing weight or advancing your career or um, or, you know, becoming an artist, whatever it is. You're looking at years and years of really hard work. You can't deny that's that's not a quick and easy thing that that we can make go away. Same comes with weight loss is that, you know, you're looking at a lot of effort of physical activity and dramatically changing the way that you eat. The one thing that can change as you know, what I communicate in the book is your attitude towards that work where before it seemed like you'd never be able to do it. Now it feels like you must do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's maybe where some of James's stuff is quite good in that. Um, I remember you used like a bit of an analogy or, or not, I don't know if it's an analogy or really actually more just an exercise or a habit setting process, but he said like basically start, and this is, this does go in line with what you're saying around his approach is very, very, very small. I.e., like, I think the thing he said was like, if you want to start running, literally set yourself yeah. goal getting your running shoes on and like don't even leave yeah. the house and, and I, it doesn't get any smaller book is very complimentary <laughs> but, to mine for those i i do give people those tasks of saying that that try these little these little things that yeah. that uh, if people want to read his book and my book at the same time i think that they would probably serve each other uh complement each other quite well yeah 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 i, I was going to say because what what i did like about it is that 
you can't fail and obviously that's yeah, really powerful that's, not being able to fail because you can't fail not yeah, being you a shooter you got to be I mean, pretty, it's, uh, it's got to get progressively harder out of it. But, <laughs> oh I can't face it can't face it <laughs> yeah um but uh, no, exactly. I can't put him on. No, um, I but I can I can definitely see like a lot of this stuff is going to be obviously very individual individualized, isn't it? Because obviously people's personalities and traits are going to be very different. They, I, I can, well, I'm assuming there'll be definitely people where they'll read your book probably and think, actually, you know what, this mm-hmm. completely aligns with everything I believe, and actually, I love it. Um, and there'll be obviously other people that maybe yeah. read James's and that kind of maybe aligns a bit more. But like you say, I hate it. I hate it when the fitness industry polar mm. has to put things in polar opposites. Everything has to be, oh no, this is right, this is right, or no, that's wrong. Yeah, There's and no I mean, I, uh, like I said, that's why I'm, I'm respectful of uh, of James's work because I, I realize that that's that is the way for some people. And I don't, in my book, I'm clear that I don't dismiss the traditional CBT, and I, I consider it as something that is is useful and. Uh, in working your way towards that life-changing epiphany. I just wanted to explore something that in popular culture uh, had, or in popular writing had not been done before. And even the scientific analysis of the life-changing epiphany, there was not a lot of work done. In it. it's, it's really only in the last 10 years that people have started to explore it. And uh, and I'm the the first popular writer to do an investigation into it, as well as to look at at how to make it happen. Yeah, um, if I could just pop back to the, so I was thinking of the Leslie Chapman or the the fence, the lady who did the fencing. Obviously, yes. going from without giving away. Um, oh, great! Give like, stuff away, guys. <laughs> she's obviously in a very unhealthy situation at, at yeah. the part of her life before she then went down the road where she went to to become a fencer and get to the point where she got a silver medal yeah um i was kind of thinking of it in sort of the goal setting things where things can get sort of not overlooked but kind of forgotten so if you looked at it on the paper on on there she didn't win but she fought like an obviously an exceptional fencer yeah but i think people when they sort of especially when they they think they failed but the actual because the goal it all becomes about that goal at that, that very final thing getting the gold medal but then you've kind of overlooked the thousand small goals that you've bought, that you've won up until that point. And I think that's kind of something I want to try to kind of get people to realize that the end sort of you have a set point of whatever you want to lose as a weight loss, weight loss goal. You might not hit that exact target, but you don't forget how far you've come kind of thing. That sort of keeping things as positive as you can do, which I guess kind of is with the same sort of thing with, as you put about positive fantasies, which I found quite interesting as well. And setting those types of things, I think that's, that's important. Whereas trying to get sort of people to realize that it's, that you can set something in if you don't hit it exactly, Mm -hmm. a lot of good has been done in between those points. Yeah, there's um, there's some stuff early on in the book about an, an old CBT uh, approach called the uh, expectancy value approach. And one of the things that I encourage people in their they're dreaming of an optimal future for them is to look at implausible goals, but not impossible ones. So if it's impossible, that's literally impossible. It cannot be achieved. But implausible is like really freaking hard uh but if you were truly inspired and worked your ass off 
there was a good chance that you would be able to achieve them and uh, or, or a reasonable chance that you, that you could achieve it. And so that's the the value side of things that if it's implausible, it's because it's it's very lofty, it's very ambitious. And it's something that if you achieved it, it would be so awesome. It would have tremendous high value for it that, yes, I would love it if that happened. But the and then the expectancy part of expectancy value is that you expect that if you busted your ass, if you were truly inspired and worked hard, you could make it happen. You could you could achieve that high value goal. And the great thing about that is that these are not generally all or none things that if you end up saying, yes, I'm motivated to achieve that based on an expectancy that I think I'll be able to achieve it and it has tremendous value for me, then you start down that path of working towards it of days, weeks, months, years of effort. And it doesn't quite fully come to fruition or it doesn't happen exactly the way that you wanted it to. Usually what ends up happening is there's still tremendous return for you. You made it three quarters of the way there and life is so much better than if you hadn't pursued that goal. Yeah, I guess I guess I'd look at that sort of like if you imagine like someone signing up for a marathon who's never mm-hmm. done a marathon before and they have this time set in their head that they, they're going to achieve. They might not hit it, but then mm-hmm. you take a step back and look that you've actually just run a marathon. Not Yeah. Not loads of people are doing that. And also the side sort of to that is you've also probably got yourself in a much healthier state of affairs yeah, looking after yourself a lot better. So all of these little factors are actually are much bigger than that. That not not hitting that time that you set in your head. That was um, and another uh, a related aspect to that was a friend of mine. We were both looking at qualifying for the Boston Marathon, and uh, he had some life upsets that uh, come race day. He said, "You know what? There's no way I'm going to be able to do it. I'm not going to hit my qualification time." this time so he decided i'm going to run the half marathon instead the same day that i was running the full marathon and uh and i ended up qualifying that day just freaking barely (laughs) almost killed me it was brutal and and he run the half marathon and got his uh blew away his personal best so he got a new personal best in the half so there's you know there's lots of different ways to look at this in terms of you know maybe things didn't work out exactly the way you planned but it's still you got to celebrate those victories anyway. Do, do, do you think, from like a motivational perspective? So take that example. Um, obviously, I guess the the, the life circumstances or, or whatever it was that stopped me doing the full marathon. Do you think the, rel- the relief of pressure of? I think it's entirely possible because uh, if he had decided to run the full marathon before long, you can tell if you're on pace and how you feel if you're going to be able to pull it off or not. And then you just start lagging. You start saying, well, if I'm not going to make my time, screw it. I'm not going to kill myself. Whereas for him, because it was half the distance and he had trained for a fast marathon, he knew he had it in him to really go all out. And uh, and he was almost as bagged as I was at the end of the day. We ended up going out to the pub together that night and we were both messed up. So he had he had really given it all for that half and got it just a killer time for it so yeah the answer to your question is yes i think it did i, I just 
Yeah, I, so I, just, I just wonder whether he found a way to kind of relieve a lot of an environment, environmental stress. Yeah, because there wasn't, and that was another thing. There, like you said, there wasn't a lot riding on it. That uh, there is no Boston half marathon that you have to qualify for. He was doing it just for the pure of enjoyment of what can I do today. The stress was gone. Whereas for me, my my Boston qualifier was immensely stressful uh, because I really wanted to make it to Boston and. Um, and uh, it was a close thing. It, uh, like it was within 29 seconds. It was, uh, and it was unbelievably painful. <laughs> and I don't ever want to do that again. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got no interest yeah. in running a marathon. If I'm honest, I've run I've run a few half marathons. In fact, some one of my friends asked me only a couple of days ago. There's a there's a half marathon in February in local to me. And yeah. uh, <laughs> my said, "Oh, should we all do it?" And I was like, "No chance." <laughs> Not interested. Yeah, I think sort of going through sort of other sort of key phrases that I kind of took that I would definitely, I sort of feel were very good. I sort of you put like sort of stacking the deck in your favor and like having checking it or making sure you have the knowing what your payout is. And also, yeah. I think the most important one for so many people and so many sort of fitness professionals can kind of should start realizing is don't reinvent the wheel you, mm -hmm. what you want to do is just make it turn efficient effectively and optimizing it for yourself in whatever way you can find yeah no that that's exactly right <laughs> yeah because uh, obviously like i mean that goes back kind of right back to the start doesn't it of how the glamming something up will always be the seems to always be the thing that gets the most sort of press i mean you only have to scroll through any instagram type in something with any sort of supplement or anything like that and it's it's going to have way more likes than yeah but but you know those types of things uh, and like when we're talking about weight loss when there's the the uh the diet du jour focus on the words du jour that it, it's the 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 gimmick of the day that they don't have any staying power. It's just something that is unique and interesting and it has piqued curiosity and it's probably some old repackaged bullshit that uh, that isn't necessarily effective or is only effective for a small group of people because I'm, I don't believe in a cookie cutter solution to anything. And one of the things about this book is if you buy this book and you decide that you're going to work this program that I've developed, that you got a lot of homework to do. This is not a um, follow step one, step two, step three, you know, follow this diet to the letter. Uh, it's, it's much more general where I'm asking questions of you, of you trying to figure out who you are and what's going to work for you, that, that it's a lot of these questions are very open-ended. And the reason for that being is, like I said, there are no cookie cutter solutions. If you actually want this to work, I can't spoon feed it to you. You need to you need to thrash around in your own psyche and your own understanding of your core being of who you are in order for this to work. Because there's I don't know who you are deep down, and I don't know the answers to your really tough life questions. But I know how to present the questions that you're going to ask of yourself in order to figure that out. So, yeah. It's, it's never like a, quick and easy. <laughs> no, there's no, there's no, hard work ahead. It's like you know, a really well-written sort of uh, <laughs> flat pack instruction manual, whereas you can read it 
and read it as many times as you want. But unless you action the actual sort of points through it, you're still going to have a load of screws and a bit of few bits of wood laying on your kitchen floor. Yeah. And cupboard. Yeah. It's, it's not a concrete blueprint. It's more of a general life guide of, you, you know, I, I can provide maybe half of the house that needs to be built, but you got to figure out the other half on your own. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's no other way around it. <laughs> I, th- I think from what you just said, James, I probably know the answer to this question I was going to ask. It's probably silly me asking it really, but I was going to wonder if there is anything in there that have, have you included any like well, almost life yes. hacks or something that people can. So there's the book is, is broken down more, into three, uh, three more. sections. Uh, and the third section is titled hacking epiphany. And one of the first things I do is say, I hate the word hacking. <laughs> just because of the way it's been misused. But yes, uh, the entire uh, final three chapters all have those types of, it, it progresses through the book where we get more and more granular and, and giving specific tasks that even though like, a, but relating back to what I just said, these are specific tasks, but they still involve thinking on your part. You don't, it's not, you don't get to shut your brain off with this book. It's very much about turning your brain on and being a participant um, an intellectually and emotionally engaged participant in the advice that I'm giving. Yeah. I was, I was, I was just going through my notes. As I said, so there's bits I really, really enjoyed and which I think are very sort of valuable to use. It's certain sort of around sort of, the language of someone how you use language like i think there was a bit i read where you were saying maybe not exactly in, i might be murdering it but saying like <laughs> instead of saying i can't saying i don't so like if yes offices having chocolate cake when someone when you give say i can't you're kind of still giving them the in to talk you around after a while if you're just saying i don't eat chocolate cake people really quickly stop asking you because it's kind of more concrete as opposed to being right. like and it's that that that's just i just want to add on that sorry sorry i just want to i just want to say because i think this um something that i've found really powerful with clients that are using that getting them to stop using words like i can't and start to say like i am the person that does this or doesn't do this and just you almost like you become and i mean not that healthy people don't eat cake cake. (laughs) (laughs) and i've run 10k the last no no sure uh the um no the what we're talking about there with that that I can't versus I don't or I will type of language is that what I talked about earlier about Rokic's model of personality, those are identity and values versus behaviors. And identity values, the true self, are far more powerful in guiding what you do each day than just thinking about behaviors. And, uh, you know, behaviors are something that require constant monitoring constant struggle uh it's an ordeal to develop behaviors when you focus on or to fo- to it's an ordeal to develop habits when you focus on those surface level behaviors conversely when you change who you are at a core being it's it's automatic it's easy yeah <laughs> So that's like that middle part of the onion you talked about. Yeah, well, I was looking at the trying to sort of get up to date with the bit where you were talking about like people having the grit or grit kind of like. So obviously some people are super super motivated, I guess, and do have that sort of blinkered focus. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
the majority of people we kind of deal with don't. <laughs> <laughs> they just, I don't for whatever reason. It's just it's just. It's it's one of those things I think like some people have yeah. a certain robotic or gritty personality where they can kind of get their head down and do that type of stuff. And I suppose I always wonder how much of that is actually like a genetic, natural given personality trait or whether that's something developed, conditioned over time or whether it is more something like, because something we, we bang on about is things like, well, motivation is waning. Um, it only lasts for, you know, it's, it's, it's a finite mm-hmm. thing. Um, it can obviously be drained daily. And obviously, because obviously there's lots of talk around whether kind of like willpower is something yeah. that. And I, I really debunk the shit out of that in this book. Need to recharge the, it's again. not a tank that can be drained. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the stuff that. No, that's the type of stuff I'm really interested in hearing more about because I don't know a lot about it. Um, but I do find like habits when they like for what all the stuff you talked about but on obviously the mechanism of how people do build habits they are the types of things that do help in times where motivation does disappear because obviously the reason why i don't know but obviously there are times where people you are less motivated than and than other times so kind of those habits get you through those times where motivation is great so that's yeah. kind of like and i mean there the there's certainly really merit in hybrid models that like that because i mean I, like I said, I made that promise to myself 25 years ago that I will exercise until I die. But I still need to use different little tricks now and then when I feel like, eh, I don't feel like doing it today. So it's like, okay, well, just get dressed. Just put your running gear on. And and then I know eventually it's going to happen. Or, you know, for this month, I knew that with this book coming out next month, I and I there's quite a bit of I'm doing so many of these podcasts and interviews and other stuff going on with preparing for the book launch. And there's quite a bit of anxiety. I got a lot of. No, we lost you. Can you hear me? Did, did I lose you for a second there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, so I'll, uh, maybe you can just edit this back in. There is quite a bit of anxiety associated with, because I've got yeah, yeah. a lot riding on the success of this book, that I decided that I was just going to make a commitment to try and run 10K every single day this month. Whereas historically, I'd never gone more than about seven or eight days in a row of, of running that far. And... Uh, and I did that because I thought, well, it's going to get me away from my computer. It's going to help reduce my stress. And it's going to make sure that I don't, with it being Christmas month, that I don't get, you know, chunk up. And that I don't gain 10 pounds this month. And and so there are those little <laughs> hybrid model tricks that you can do. But the, um, the, the whole willpower is a tank that can be drained that's not that's one of the things that i i get pretty heavy into debunking in chapter two that it's really is you know talking about the grit concept suffering i don't care who you are suffering is not something that anybody can sustain for a long period of time and if it comes to um doing stuff that that seems really uncomfortable that takes tremendous psychological effort and we see those personalities like you talked about that that maybe that's just who they are yeah it to them it can kind of they can play it up as being suffering i'm going to engage in this painful activity and work these tremendously long hours and and to an external observer it's going to be how the hell do they do that well the reality is going back to the stuff that i've talked about with the model of personality it may seem like suffering, but they actually like it. They're they're not going to do that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
hour after hour, day after day, and engage what appears to be like suffering if it's not something that deep down they don't actually enjoy. And and that's where the whole willpower myth gets gets thrown away is that it's not this draining tank. It has to do with passion and desire. We do primarily what we feel like doing. And if you feel like in engaging in hours and hours of um, toil and tremendous effort, then that's what you're going to do. Yeah, I guess. Go on, Brett. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, like, I suppose I often have people say to me, because I'm, I'm, I've got a reasonably robotic personality in terms of like, I, I kind of tick all the boxes, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I am very much, a, I never miss a training session. My diet is, mm-hmm. is pretty good. Um, and that's kind of like, I've been that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've always said to people, it is very much for me, like they're ingrained habits, uh, uh, how, however that's happened over many years now. Um, and people, like I get up early in the morning, train at 5am. Um, uh, obviously I've got a home gym, but I get up early to make it a bit easy, but I get up and train at 5am. People think, I don't know how you do it, especially at this time of year when it's freezing cold. It's kind of like, well, don't, 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 don't look from the outside in and think that, oh, he's, you know, he's, super motivated always get up there's times i get up at 5am and think holy shit i want to go back to bed there's no way i want to get a train but i drag my ass out and do it anyway so as those sorts but of moments where i think it's like, who you are motivation is isn't where people might from the outside in think is yeah exactly exactly so i guess like that's really interesting how how that happens how that comes about because it's a really difficult thing to get across the client say look you kind of it's one of those things where you have to, you do have to work hard on motivation for a long time to start. But these other things, these other mechanisms come into play over time, where it, mm-hmm. it does get you through those hard, yeah, so harder points. Yeah, there's a really sort of interest bit, which is kind of around the same sort of area, which you're talking about, like again with the self control and that. But that it can be kind of worse or detrimental. Sort of, I think it's your cardiometabolic health. So, like, as yes. opposed, if you have, like, say chocolate in your house and every day you're beating yourself up about either eating or not eating it the better option would be just to get rid of it out of your shelves altogether yeah it's i mean the this whole concept of engaging in constant resistance is it creates a stress response and it's not good for um it's not good for cardiometabolic health and i think that's that the whole it ages you they they looked at i think telomere shortening which is just crazy stuff that if you're constantly engaged in effortful resistance of engaging in say unhealthy behaviors or having to force yourself to do something that you hate doing then um, there can be benefits to that but at the same time it comes at a at a physiological cost so um, I do have a another interview coming up soon so yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we gotta... yeah, yeah I was just gonna, I was just thinking we should wrap it up we don't want to take all your time and if anybody else is that has it should find this interesting they can buy the book because it is getting yeah well i was gonna say show show we show we wrap up with uh, okay so have um, a chance to plug for all of your for uk readers probably um they can they can google their whatever their preferred local sales platform is to buy it from the UK provider so that just because then they're not getting it shipped from the United States or Canada, it's going to be a lot more affordable that way. So I'm not going to give an individual plug to any platform because I am platform neutral wherever they want to buy it from, but it is available um, in the UK. If you just Google, uh, go there and Google my name or holy shit moment, 
um, you should be able to find it. For people that are in North America, Canada, or the United States, um, probably the easiest way to find all those links is go to my website, bodyforwife.com, that's wife with a W, uh, .com, and uh, there's a books tab, so you can go bodyforwife.com, dot com slash books and it'll take you right to it and i've got links to uh to every uh every provider and i also did the that includes the audio version that uh they had me record the audio so if you didn't mind listening to my voice for the last hour i'm it's my voice narrating the book and i'm also uh i got a got a popular facebook page where we have a lot of fun i post quite frequently that's facebook.com slash body for wife and I'm also on Twitter at Body for Wife. Cool. Do we, uh, James, has got a few minutes, a couple of minutes. Do you want to do yeah, the normal questions? Sure. Yeah, do a questions? couple of wrap-up questions. questions here. Sure. Yeah. You lead. Yeah, I forget them. Do you want me to lead <laughs> or do you know what they are? You don't know what they are, do you? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So generally for uh, guests, we, we ask a few, because obviously most of our uh, guests we've had have been within more, yeah. well, not so more than the fitness industry, but basically. Well, until recently I was, so fire away. So we'd like to ask some different questions that are fitness related. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So um, no. So uh, first off, uh, um, what's your favorite burger joint? So there's a, my favorite franchise burger joint is i think just limited to canada and it's called a and w okay i've not been that, an a and w burger to tastes quite a bit like an in and out burger so it's i would say it's fairly similar to in and out okay uh, okay yeah i've had in and out okay cool cool what uh the one the food one i would food build, a build a house, house with, with? Well, I guess if I wanted it to be a sturdy house, maybe my banana bread because they're nice and brick shaped. <laughs> I do have a banana bread recipe on my website. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting question, how people approach it and whether there's a the, the rationale they use, i.e. is it structurally <laughs> or is it because it's something you just enjoy eating or, or a mixture? We, we had someone once else passed that. No, I, I often pasta. take the practical Sorry. approach, I guess. But, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay uh what's um what's the this is obviously a big question so i'll give you a second to think about it if you want but what's like the the most or the best piece of advice oh boy um well actually i would say that it what didn't come from someone i know but it was a it was a motivational quote that i read that i talk about in the book right in chapter one it okay. is the transformative experience that i had in my 20s when my life was going to shit and uh, and I was in a state of, of despair over my situation. I read a quote from jokes, uh, folk singer Joan Baez, of all people, that read, action is the antidote to despair. And that really woke up my brain in a profound way that made me realize that all of these problems that I currently faced could be overcome via a concerted effort if I was just willing to put in that effort. Mm. Yeah, absolutely resonate with that. Okay, All right. last one, and this is the big, most important question. Although that was a big question, but um, would you rather be attacked by a hundred duck-sized horses? I'm going to go with duck-sized duck. horses. <laughs> uh, okay. Probably because I, I could why. like drop kick him out of the way and climb a tree or something. <laughs> <laughs> 
Everyone says dropkick, but I I have to try to really put it into the right yeah. context. If you, obviously horses are very muscular, very strong, and there's a hundred <laughs> of them, how easy is it going to be to dropkick a hundred um, uh, very muscular let, dogs? Brett would not sway from his like. opinion on this. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. I no. No, I feel <laughs> very strong. No, no, I don't have an opinion. There isn't a right or wrong okay, well, answer. Have, but I just like to, to make question. sure people. Is there a tree you know, nearby that I can fully wear the context <laughs> of it? And I mean, I'm. Yeah, actually, they're quadrupeds, so even though they're small, I probably couldn't outrun them. I don't know. It's tough. It's... No. They, they, and they could all, yeah. obviously, even if you could climb, stack on top of each other, sure. It's a hundred of them. <laughs> yeah. No, I just want to say uh, that's been hugely interesting, and generally, I can't wait to get uh, get through the book and have a have a good good crack at it and see see yeah, what. Thanks. Oh, you're about. very welcome. Yeah, thank so, you. I, I appreciate you, so you having me on the show. Cool. Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll um, uh, we'll obviously oh, get our episode absolutely. out. Absolutely, I, I definitely will. Share, if you'd like to share it around, obviously. For, for yeah, thank you. I'm sure, we get some great value to our listeners. So, thank you so much. Right. Cool. No, no, genuinely, James, that was, that was brilliant. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that. I am. Um, uh, okay, for sure. It, I'll come great. back to you with some feedback. I won't be able to change right. anything I'll, because I'll we're upset. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I. No, no, I, I, no, no, no. I, I mean more like obviously. Okay. I, I want you to make sure or want you to know. Yeah. I will genuinely read it, and I'll be interested to have a maybe right. talk about it. Well, I got to. Uh, I got to wrap really it up. I got a, so, another one coming up pretty quick cool. here that I got to prep for. So thanks very much, you guys. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.